When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're not done with our coverage of Penn State and Michigan during one of the biggest weeks of the Penn State football season. We're going to go get some inside intel from somebody who covers the Wolverines on a daily basis, Clayton Safey of the Wolverine, coming up on the BWI Daily Edition. Something Clayton and I were just talking about before the show it's always nice when you know somebody that covers the opposing team so you can have an honest, intelligent conversation uh, with some good back and forth. And Clayton Safey joining us from the Wolverine, the sister station of Blue White Illustrated, the YouTube channel, the website. Clayton, welcome to the BWI Daily Edition. Thank you for making time during this week for, to come on and talk Penn State, Michigan. Of course. Yeah. Super pumped. Huge game. Top 10 matchup. Excited to talk about this one and uh, get into everything. Uh, before we get into a couple of things that I, I'm imagining we disagree on to start off with, because you told me one of them we do, uh, before we get to into the kind of the, the nitty gritty, how is Mike Hart? And for fans that don't know what happened, can you fill them in on what happened with him uh, this past week? Yeah, so it was a super scary scene. I was actually watching and covering the game from the sideline uh, against Indiana last weekend and was just during a TV timeout looking over at the sideline and see Mike Hart just topple over uh, kind of on his back like it was a trust fall and nobody reacted for a couple seconds thinking, you know, it's a football sideline, a lot of things go on, whatever. And then there was some panic. Um, you know, the whole team rushed around. They brought the card out for him. Uh, he reportedly had a seizure. Um, he stayed overnight Saturday night in a Bloomington area hospital for observation, but that went well. Uh, he's feeling better. He said uh, he released a statement on Monday, said he's trending in a positive direction and hopes to rejoin the team soon. Don't know if that will be this week. Jim Harbaugh did not have those answers, and um, you know I don't think they want to rush him back, but uh, it is a good sign that he's trending positively. Fred Jackson will take over and coach the running backs this week for Michigan. He rejoined the staff in the summer as an analyst, kind of a right-hand man, kind of a guy to just be another set of eyes for Jim Harbaugh. Fred Jackson coached the Michigan running backs and was an assistant all over the offense, uh, assistant head coach for 22 years, uh, was about, you know, out of the game for about 10 years and, and they brought him back. And I feel like, you know, everything happens for a reason. He's here uh, mm -hmm. to step in in this moment for the guy he coached uh, in his position. So uh, obviously a huge storyline, wishing all the best to Mike Hart, but, uh, you know, was a very, very scary situation. Yeah, and uh, all the best for his recovery, hopefully. Um, you know, whatever, if there is an underlying thing is addressed and if it's a, you know, whatever the situation is that he, the best possible outcome comes out of that. Uh, let's get to it, though. Let's talk about the Michigan Wolverines. Uh, I'll ask you some thoughts about Penn State, but really we're going to focus on Michigan, give Penn State yep. fans some inside intel about uh, the opponent coming up because even if you watch them on the bye week, even if you, uh, you know, have caught a couple games this year, you might not know the full story about a lot of stuff. So let's start uh, with J.J. McCarthy, the quarterback who's taken over this year for the Wolverines. 
what was the situation early in the season? Was that still a competition at the beginning of the season? And and how did he, if so, how did he win that job? Yeah, it was very much a com- uh, competition coming into the season. And it's interesting from all the reports, uh, Cade McNamara, the incumbent, you know, returning starter, had the edge coming out of fall camp. And then Jim Harbaugh decided to go with a very unique situation of, hey, Cade McNamara is going to start the first game. J.J. McCarthy is going to start the second game. And we're going to have this competition going until it it doesn't go any longer. Cade McNamara came out and struggled a little bit in his first start. Uh, J.J. McCarthy was lights out in that game in relief duty. And then in his first start in the second game against Hawaii, he was fantastic, obviously against light competition. But... Uh, Cade McNamara seemed like the the moment got to him a little bit, and he seemed frustrated with some post game comments, um, you know, about the whole situation, feeling that maybe he deserved to kind of be the guy, uh, you know, starting this season. So, JJ McCarthy took it and ran from, uh, took the job and ran with it. And uh, Cade McNamara actually hurt right now. The third game against UConn, he came in at the end of the first half when Michigan was up big. Uh, took a big shot to his right leg, and I'm not sure he's going to be available even this weekend. So that's a big storyline. Michigan's backup quarterback situation, if something were to happen to J.J. McCarthy right now, is in flux. Davis Warren would be the next guy up there. He's a former walk-on who uh, – incredible story. He beat leukemia. Um, he didn't have a senior season in high school and you know, really didn't play much in high school, so there wasn't much film on him. But Michigan saw a couple things from him, brought him in, and now he has ascended to the number two spot on the depth chart, apparently, wow. based on him making the travel roster coming to Indiana last weekend. So that's basically the situation. J.J. McCarthy has been very good, uh, you know, a 19-year-old making his sixth start this weekend, but he leads the country in completion percentage. He's done a good job of kind of managing the game, running the offense. Uh, and those are some of the things that were concerns with him coming into the season. We know he has the big arm, but – uh, you know, was he able to, you know, keep the ball out of harm's way? He's been he's been lucky on a few. He should have a few more interceptions than he does, but right. um, no doubt. And but he is he's done a good job for the most part, and he's getting better by the week. So it's been uh, it's been really really fascinating to kind of watch his growth over the last several weeks. One parallel between the two teams, you mentioned the big arm, but not necessarily big results from the deep passing game. He talked about that, I think, at his press conference this week. What did he have to say about the situation and what they're trying to do? Because I imagine every team wants to be able to throw the ball to all parts of the field. What are they doing in order to accomplish that going into this game? Yeah, it's funny. When you think of J.J. McCarthy, everyone thought, well, we got to hand the keys over to him. He's kind of been the fan favorite even from last season. Oh, he's going to hit on some of those deep balls that Cade McNamara couldn't hit on, things like that. Well, it's actually been kind of the opposite. He's been just like Cade McNamara in the deep passing game, hit on a few, missed on several, especially in the last couple of weeks. But he's been so much more accurate in the short stuff than yeah. Cade McNamara was. And Cade McNamara was really good at that stuff. So it's kind of funny how it, it's played out so far, where he's actually doing the Cade McNamara things better than Cade did. And then, you know, the things that we thought were JJ traits, uh, he's not doing as well as you would expect. Uh, he's basically put all the all the blame on himself on missing some of those. He's had some guys open. Roman Wilson was wide open in the Iowa game, and he just overthrew him, uh, you know, just a few, maybe a foot off. Um, so it's kind of been that sort of thing where they just have failed to connect over the last couple of weeks. They haven't take a ton, taken a ton of deep shots. Yeah. Um, we know he has the arm strength for it. He has talked about as well. He missed most of the offseason with the torn labrum. And he's just now feeling kind of 
100%. So he's talked about kind of recalibrating his arm, trusting his arm that he doesn't have to put his all into it because all these have been overthrows. So um, I think he has it in him. We saw it last season. We saw it at times earlier on this year. Um, But they've just kind of missed on a few of those. And he talked about chemistry being a thing too. Again, he didn't get to throw all those extra throwing sessions. He was on a pitch count all off season. We talked to him in, you know, getting late in the summer. And he said, yeah, I'm, I'm getting close to hundred percent. That was going into fall camp. It's like, okay. Um, you know, so you kind of understand that a little bit, but they, I think the next gear for this offense would be him hitting on some of those big plays. Yeah, for sure. Cause then they would have, uh, I think a, a really hard offense to stop with, with Blake Corum and Ronnie Bell and really taking advantage of all of those traits. It's interesting because you can pick up on these things, but you don't know the why behind them. Uh, and, and, and some of the, some of the issues I think throwing the football earlier and that have since resolved and that, that second half of the Indiana game, I know a lot of fans point to that as kind of a turning point for him in terms of his ability to throw the ball consistently, lead the team uh, to a victory. He also mentioned deficiencies in his mechanics uh, as a part of that conversation when it came to the deep ball, but not just the deep ball, kind of retooling what he uh, what he does. And that's something that I picked up on and I think led to uh, some of my comments about him in terms of how he throws the ball and some of the, the inaccuracies I saw, especially in that Maryland game. Um, was he a former baseball player? Because uh, I get a huge baseball vibe from his throwing motion. I don't believe that he was. Okay. Uh, I don't know that for sure. I know he was big into hockey and was actually really a pretty damn good hockey player until he decided just to focus on football. But obviously that's not in the, the spring with baseball. I, I want right. to say he was not a baseball player, maybe younger okay. though. Okay. All right. But the, some of those things when he talked about uh, the deficiencies in his mechanics, have you seen a progression in that? And not to put you on the spot about knowing quarterback mechanics or anything like that, but have you seen an improvement in accuracy in that off season work from, you know, rehabbing the injury, fixing some of those things from last year to this year? Yeah, I think it's kind of the muscle memory, the habits of it that he didn't get to have some of those reps in the offseason. Um, we saw it in the Maryland game. So they took eight shots of 20 plus air yards against Maryland and he only connected on one. It was a huge one uh, in the fourth quarter that picked up a first down, led to a field goal that, um, you know, really helped Michigan win that game. But you saw in some of those throws where, again, I'm not trying to be, a, a, as you said, like a you know quarterback guru or anything, but. When he finished some of those throws, he, he was completely turned to the sideline as opposed to at his target um, when you watch the film of those. So you're right. I think some of that was mechanics. And it's kind of one of those things, too, where he talked about after the game that that was the first time that was three weeks ago that he was feeling 110 um, percent. And when you are, you still have to stick with you know your mechanics, what you were taught, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I, I do think he's still kind of figuring out how to. Uh, you know, or refiguring out how to play the game at the speed he's trying to play it at, process everything. But also remember, you got to you got to keep your technique sound, too. So, yeah. um, you know, it's a process. I have seen they haven't taken as many shots because Iowa plays the way they do quarters, yeah. coverage, cover two, that sort of thing. And then uh, last week against Indiana didn't take a ton of vertical shots, but they were really, uh, you know, beating them in the intermediate stuff, crossing routes, things like that. But um, yeah. I have seen a little bit more growth in terms of his footwork and uh, in, you know, over the last couple of weeks, because I think they had 
plenty. And from what we heard, they they were excited that they had plenty to work on with him after getting out with a win against Maryland and then moving on to some of those uh, last two games. Yeah, and important to mention too, as you pointed out, nineteen year old, a very young prospect, and and uh, some of the things that I, I've been impressed with just is his ability to read the field and, and find those guys in zone coverage. He can pick you apart in zone coverage, which is something for a young player you would expect that to be more of a difficulty. So clearly, the better quarterback, I, I think that's that's obvious in this game. You know, as far as his how he's been playing so far this season. What is his ceiling? What What do you think as far as, you know, Big Ten, nationally, where do you think his talents can take him in terms of elevating Michigan's uh, offense, which, you know, I think is, is fair to say the quarterback under Jim Harbaugh has been the biggest frustration of the team throughout the time as something you'd expect from Harbaugh, former quarterback, to be able to influence pretty heavily. Uh, and, and it's been a struggle to this point. Yeah, so they've had good quarterbacks, not great quarterback play, not guys that are winning you some of those games. They're guys that aren't going to lose you a ton of games like Shea Patterson, Cade McNamara last year. That was that was a really good performance from him throughout the entire year. But, you know, he wasn't winning you some of the games. Again, he wasn't losing you the games, which is uh, checklist, you know, top of the checklist. If you're Jim Harbaugh, he loves to run the ball, you know, make sure your quarterback doesn't make the big mistakes. Um, we're seeing a little bit different I think with JJ McCarthy and that's why I think the ceiling with him uh, running this Michigan offense is so much higher because he can make every throw on the field he can win you some of those games um, I don't know that it's going to come this year in terms of him being you know one of the better quarterbacks in the country but I think he has that sort of potential um, I think he has a sort of potential to be a first round NFL draft pick I wouldn't necessarily predict it right now but um, potential is potential I, I think he's there with that um, again, can make every throw on the field, is mobile, uh, is getting better at reading the defenses. As you mentioned, that, that was also something that uh, we wanted to see more of coming into this year, a, a leg up that Cade McNamara had, not to continue to reference him because the, co you know, the competition is over. But um, you know he's gotten better in the mental side of everything. But as far as this year, I don't know that you're going to have him carry the team, nor does he have to with the run game led by Blake Corum in that offensive line. But uh, I think in the years ahead, maybe next year, his junior season, you could see him become one of the premier quarterbacks in the country if he continues to trend the way he is. Clayton Safey of the Wolverine with us here on the BWI Daily Edition. I'm Thomas Frank Carr. We're talking about Michigan and the Michigan Wolverines. Offense spent a good amount of time on J.J. McCarthy, getting some of the backstory to, you know, kind of fill in the holes of maybe what you've seen of him and what, what to expect. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
let's talk about the offensive line. Um, because you texted and you said, I, I think we disagree about this particular unit when I gave my assessment on Monday on the on the live show. Um, I guess let's just start with what is uh, what's what's the beef here? What is your what is your opinion of my opinion? It's no beef. First of all, I do enjoy I watched the show on Monday to try to gather some stuff on Penn State and I learned a good amount. I like listening to you guys uh, about your team because, you know, nobody knows it better than you guys. But um I just said that I disagreed that it wasn't a good offensive line. Uh, I think it is a good offensive line. Um, mm -hmm. They brought back three out of five starters from last year's group. That was really good. All those guys have improved. Uh, they have dealt with some injuries this season, so there's been a lot of shuffling in and out of the lineup. Trevor Keegan at left guard is finally healthy, but he was kind of in and out the first few weeks. Now Trent A. Jones at the right tackle spot yeah. goes out. He has a high ankle sprain, but Carson Barnhart will fill in for him, and he's actually played more football than Trent A. Jones and was right there battling for that job in camp. He was actually hurt over the last few weeks too. So, uh, But three out of five starters come back. Olu Oluwatimi at the center spot, a Virginia transfer who was a Remington finalist last year, uh, steps in. They haven't lived up to the high expectations. Uh, I will, I will give you that if you know if you want to take it. Um, that I think that they had coming into the season, but for the most part, they've been they've been pretty good. I mean, they've been opening yeah. holes in the run game. They have been protecting JJ McCarthy really well. Um, yeah. They didn't protect Cade McNamara great in some of those series that he had, and, and led to him getting hurt. Uh, so there were a few lapses early in the season that had people concerned, but over the last few weeks especially against Iowa, that offensive line has really taken a step forward. Um, a lot of that with Trevor Keegan being back in the lineup. But, no, I, I think it's been it's been good, and I have seen growth with them over the last few weeks as well, so I think it's going to get better. But, you know, I'd say haven't lived up to the expectations of being a great or elite offensive line, but I would put them in the good, pretty good category so far this year uh, and getting better, I guess I would say, too, although they – just dealt with an injury last week as well yeah it, it, the funny thing is like branding and, and 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 phrasing is everything we agree about where they are as a unit okay. but th yeah. there is a there is a certain amount of myth busting i feel like i have to do with shell-shocked penn state fans that think every other offensive line is great and the penn state offensive line is terrible and right. uh you know i think that there is they are a good offensive line and they do things well. But when when we're talking about and, and the idea of uh, players that are difference makers and that are, you know, future first round draft picks and, and the things that should keep a, a defensive coordinator up at night. I think this is a good group, as you described. But when I'm when I'm discussing the running game and especially the running game of what Penn State fans are expecting, here are the numbers of what they've been able to do between the tackles with Blake Quorum rushing 31, 65, 15 yards and Indiana sold out to stop the run. Um, and I guess that's just my point is if a team sells out to stop the run, you can stop the run. Very few offensive lines are so good that they can take an eight man box and still run effectively between the tackles. And, and really the other point I was trying to highlight is they're a good unit. That's giving Blake Corum good looks. But when, when he's out in space, he's the secret sauce here. Because you look at the amount of yards outside of the tackles, either cutbacks or or running outside the tackles, 212 yards. And of course, a bunch of that came on one run against Maryland, Iowa, as you mentioned, one of the best balance games of the season. And then against Indiana, 109 yards 
uh, on uh, carries outside of the tackle. So that is that's what I was trying to illustrate on Monday is they're good, but they're not to the point that Penn State is going to be overmatched, in my opinion, in this game, and that it's a battle that Penn State can win, as opposed to a lot of situations where Penn State fans have this idea that it's the Michigan offensive line putting on that blue and white and, and uh, yellow uniform, that maze uniform, gives you special properties that now you're a 1993 guard with a neck roll that blows two guys off the ball and then goes and works construction after the game or something like that. I don't know. No, no, it's it's fair. Uh, the only thing I did take exception with was just that that you did say it was okay and not good. But yeah. I, I yeah. see in context is different, and you're talking from a Penn State standpoint too, where they compare. I mean, the Penn State offensive line was was not good last year. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. that's kind of been a story. Is can can James Franklin have a good offensive line? It looks improved to me this year. So context matters there. Completely fair. Um, and you're right about some of the between the tackle stuff. Obviously, the numbers. I uh, can't disagree with those, um, but you look at Iowa, um, very good run defense. Indiana, as you said, they were stacking the box, and I, again, I was watching that game from the field, and it was like they, they got to start throwing at some point, and the first half was was just not there uh, They, you know, with some of the play calls. I thought it was just simple math. I mean, Indiana yeah. had all these guys. I don't know how you expect six guys to block like eight. Uh, yeah. up there and then you saw the safety start creeping closer and closer and then in the second half as Jim Harbaugh said they put the game in JJ McCarthy's hands and decided to throw more I think he had 185 yards in the second half and you know threw for his first 300 yard game against Indiana so you're right um, I will say with with uh, you know the between the tackle stuff too it's been interesting to watch that because everyone came into the year saying well can Michigan have the same type of run game as it did a year ago with Hassan Haskins and then Blake Corum kind of being that change of pace? And I know Penn State didn't see him last year because he was hurt in that game. Yeah. But yeah. Um, it's been different. And that's what I told people coming into the season. It's not going to look the same, but the production may be similar, could be yeah. better, could be almost as good, which is very good because they were one of the best running teams in the country a year ago. Um, and it has been different. They've hit the edges more. Blake Corum, if you watch that run uh, on one of the first plays of the game against Indiana, I think it was a second play from scrimmage where he's running left. There's guys, there are five Indiana, five red jerseys all around him. And somehow without getting touched, he cut it all the way back yep. and uh, you know went 50 yards to the one yard line. I thought he scored, but uh, then he scored on the next play. But so, you know, a couple of, it, couple of the it, it looks different. later in the game that I thought were equally impressive where he's one-on-one yes. -on, -one on the edge with, with a safety and he just sticks his foot in the ground and the dude basically falls over. I get so it's he ridiculous. Is, he's got Those a little cuts. bit of, he's got yeah. a little bit of Saquon Barkley there of like, like you just said, five guys around him and suddenly he's somewhere else running 50 yards down the field. That is an, that's an impressive sort of ability. It's crazy. And, uh, some of those cuts are insane. He had a similar cut. I know which one you're talking about from the Indiana game. He had a similar one to kind of seal that Iowa win when it was him and Jack Campbell, a potential first team All American and you know yeah. first you know first round draft pick at the linebacker spot in the hole together. He gives him a little hezzy, uh, and then he was just off to the races. So some of those cuts are insane. Jim Harbaugh described it as he has the ability to make guys miss. Uh, when he is, when they could smell his breath, they're close enough to him <laughs> to smell his breath and he can still make them miss. So, uh, you know, that's been, that's been very, very fun to watch. One last thing. And I want to circle back to McCarthy about this because it comes back to the offensive line and our conversation about 
them being good or okay. One thing is, I, I have you have they been tested by a good pass rush yet? Because they've given up only 19.5% of uh, you know pressures on the season. That's the seventh lowest in college football for J.J. McCarthy. So has he been tested in a game where he's been pressured, and has the offensive line been tested by guys that are equals? That's one area that, at least watching them over the last three games and, and knowing who they played to begin the season, that's one question I have coming into this game about that part of the offense. It's a great question. They haven't been tested for the most part. I will say Iowa's defensive front coming in, you know, everyone's talking about how good all those guys are. And I think they are. I mean, I don't care who, who Iowa's played or, you know, what Michigan did to them. And, and they still struggled a lot of the game against Iowa, as you would kind of expect and played conservatively, but that's a damn good defensive front. That's a damn good defense as a whole. And they really kept JJ McCarthy clean this last game against Indiana. Uh, I think he only got touched once. Um, but that's not a great Indiana defensive front. They have some okay players up there, but yeah. So no, he hasn't been tested for the most part in that area. Um, two things though: one, the offensive line is protecting well, and two, he is very good at getting out of those situations where you get a free rusher. And we saw this with his touchdown at Iowa, where free free rusher comes around the edge, he skirts around him, you know, rolls out to his right and finds finds Donovan Edwards, the running back for a touchdown pass. So even when you do pressure him, uh, you don't necessarily, you know, make the play on him, which is another, you know, huge plus with what JJ McCarthy brings from a mo mobility standpoint. Um, but at the same time, we've seen him, if you watch the Maryland game, you saw him fumble twice. Uh, if you watch the Iowa game, you saw him, you know, there was a guy that runs free at him and he just kind of threw the ball. It went backwards. Loss of 21 yards. Thankfully for Michigan, they were able to recover that. Donovan Edwards ran it down. But there have been some close calls on some of those plays, too. He likes to run around and, you know, where he'll roll out to the right, then he'll roll back to the left, turn his back. I mean, that's dangerous stuff. So he likes yeah. to make those big plays. Jim Harbaugh said he loves it. And actually, if you watch film of Jim Harbaugh back in the day at Michigan, he was doing the same type of stuff. So he said it reminds him of himself. But he only wants J.J. to do that about once a game, maybe twice, he said. Because uh, yeah. I think everyone's heart rate up in the coach's box and on the sideline goes up a little bit when they see him running around. But then you see him make pick up a third down with his legs, uh, too. So it's it's the good and the bad. But against a great defense like Penn State is, and that's kind of if we want to talk about that, too. I mean, we haven't mentioned when talking about the Michigan offense what they're going to be facing this weekend. This will be the best defense, in my opinion they're going to face. I have a ton of respect for that secondary uh, for, you know, they lead the country in pass breakups. Pass rush is very good when you look at the numbers and, and watch them on film. So um, this is going to be a really tough test for JJ. And can he keep him out of some of the, himself out of some of those situations will be a big factor in who wins this game. So what's the pain point then? What's the, what's the area that you think um, is going to be a deciding factor when you're looking at the, those two units when they're on the field? I think one of those things will be can Michigan stay on schedule? Uh, Penn State has been so good at stopping the run that teams are forced to throw 45 times per game. And if Michigan throws 45 times in this game, I'm not sure they're going to win this game given how good Penn State is on the back end as well. Uh, second thing would be can they capitalize on some of those deep shots that they're going to take? If it's three, can you hit on one or two? If it's yeah. five, can you hit on two or three? Um, you're not asking him to, you know, hit on a deep shot every single play or every single, you know, series, but can they, you know, pick up some of that chunk yardage that you may not otherwise get? 
you know, you don't want to have to drive down in 12 plays every single time. Michigan's been good at getting big, uh, big plays in the run game, but get some of those extend the uh, extend the passing game a little bit. I think would be the two keys, but it's a daunting task going against a team that stops to run like that. They have the same formula as Michigan: stop yeah. the run, get a lead, make the other team throw, pin your ears back, and lean on a very good secondary. And these defenses kind of resemble each other uh, in some ways, except I think Penn State has some better pass rush. You know, I, I you you took the words right out of my mouth because I think these are two incredibly similar teams. You talk about the deep ball. Sean Clifford has hit uh, three of 17 so far okay. this season. So Penn State in the exact same uh, boat when it comes to not getting explosive plays out of the passing game. But we, we've spent 26 minutes talking about basically three players, uh, but I think are huge factors in this game. The the defense, though, you, you set it up perfectly. Good secondary, good pass rush. Um, where do you want to start with the defense? Where, where do you think it starts with that unit and, and how do you think they match up? I guess we could start up front with the way Michigan's been stopping the run. Yeah. Um, the defensive yeah. line has taken steps forward over the last couple of weeks. Iowa is not a good offense, but that defensive line was really working in that game. They were gassed by the end of it, but they were, they, they tired out the offensive or the offensive line of Iowa. And then we're able to get some pass rush late. The pass rush, speaking of that, has been a massive storyline ever since the end of last season when Aiden Hutchinson decided to leave. You see Mike Morris there. He's been the leader there. But uh, Aiden Hutchinson, you know, number two overall pick. David Ajabo would have been a first rounder if he didn't tear his Achilles at Pro Day. He went in the second round to the Ravens. And they've needed guys to step up. Early on in the season, they got seven sacks in the opener against Colorado State, and everyone said, oh, they're they're good, you know. Well, Colorado State has given up about 30 sacks this yeah. season, and Michigan had one sack combined in its next two games. Uh, people were worried about can they get pressure with four. They didn't in those games. They had to send a decent amount of blitz. Do um, they want a blitz? Here's a question I have okay. because I've yeah. seen I've seen in two different games going after uh, Talia Tungavaloa and then playing coverage in other games. What is the personality that you think they want to have on defense? So – you know, different defensive coordinator from last season. Mike McDonald goes yep. back to the Baltimore Ravens to coordinate their defense. Jesse Minter comes in to run the exact same system. He was at Vanderbilt a year ago and, and before that with the Ravens with McDonald. Um, so last season, they didn't really need to blitz. They didn't need to get that creative. It was like, well, we have these two edge rushers, as Penn State fans know, that can get to the quarterback and really impact the game and help out the back end. Now, uh, they don't have those edge rushers. They've struggled getting pressure with four, and they've been forced to get creative. They're doing a lot of twists up front. Uh, they're doing a lot of creative looks up front, two edges on one side, moving a deep yep. tackle way out wide on the other, things like that over the last couple games. And those have worked. They haven't had the blitz. As you mentioned, they've been able to play coverage a little bit more, especially against Indiana, something you want to do against their kind of quick passing game. I don't know if I'd call it an air raid, but they throw more than any team in the country because they have yeah. to. Yep. So, um it's been kind of game by game, which is another theme with this style of defense is you can kind of morph into what you want to be yeah. on a game by game basis. But no, I don't think they want to give a ton of pressure, but I will say Jesse Minter, the coordinator's track record so far early on in his tenure is that when he needs to, he's not afraid to draw up something pretty exotic. Um, he will keep you guessing. You don't know who's coming. Yeah. Um, they'll show something pre-snap and then do something completely different afterwards, which is a huge uh you know, I think we talked about oh, this no. last year. 
<laughs> yeah, we talked about this last year, I think, because remember Don Brown's defense where they would yep. just line up and do the same thing every play, and it worked yep. when you had better athletes, and they did against most teams, but uh, it doesn't always work against the Penn States, the Michigan States, the Ohio States, and uh, that's where Michigan wants to get those results. So, um, yeah, I, I would say the pass rush is improving. 11 sacks over the last six quarters of play including seven from seven different people against Indiana. Their offensive yeah. line coach was fired on Sunday uh, after that performance. So, But that's not a good offense line. He didn't get fired yeah. for that performance alone, obviously. So I want to see it against a better offensive line. And I think Penn State, despite what they were last year, is a better offensive line and will uh, put up more of, um, you know, you know, be a bigger challenge. If you yeah. want to go into the rest of the defense, the linebackers have struggled a little bit this season despite having some high expectations coming in. Junior Colson is a great athlete, but haven't seen him necessarily be the type of run stuffer that Michigan would want uh, from that spot. But the bright spot of, of the defense has been the secondary, and that's why I think they're so similar to Penn State is yeah. because you have some real athletes, some real dogs back there in the back end who have covered at an extremely high level, and that has helped out the pass rush. We saw it against – Maryland where man they just were not getting home but they were able to bring blitz because they trusted the guys on the outside to play man to man on yeah. some of those good Maryland receivers and they got the job done in the end tightened up in the second half uh also on the defense they've had they've done a really good job making halftime adjustments uh they've only allowed 3 points in third quarters this season which has been impressive you've seen them you know you saw them really on their heels early on in that Indiana game last week but then tighten up and uh and pitch a shot out in the second half. So um, it, it's been it's been kind of a work in progress. I still have some concerns about this defense, despite the numbers that have been so good. Uh, and I just want to see are it your again. concerns then. So my concerns are. Yeah, that's a great question. My concerns are still with the pass rush with four against better teams. Um, my concerns would be stopping a good running back like Penn State has a, a couple of. And, you know, my concerns would be. Yeah, I mean, they basically lie there. I think the linebackers need to be better, and the pass rush still is a question mark to me. I know they're answering questions on a weekly basis here, especially yeah. over the last two, but I just want to see more of it uh, against better teams because as you see more and more in college football with, with teams passing more and especially everything here in Ann Arbor is measured up to, well, were they going to beat Ohio State with that performance? Right. You know, things like that. You need it's to get funny. pressure. They have the exact same standard here. It's, hey, can you beat one of the best teams in the country doing that? And it's like, well, who, maybe, maybe, right. but we'll most see people in that one don't. <laughs> right. So you got to get pressure with four, in my opinion. It's been yeah. something I've said over and over throughout the year. I feel like a broken record. But at the same time, it's very important. And it's something that the Michigan coaches are doing everything in their power to figure out how they can do that. They've had more success lately, but... I think that's still a concern to me as as they go forward here. They got to get to Sean Clifford uh, this weekend. Uh, tell me a little bit about Ayabi Oki. What is his story, and where do you think he fits into that picture of what you just said of getting home with four? Well, how much time do you have on his story? I mean, he's <laughs> been – this is fourth school in five years. He started out at Alabama. He was actually a five-star plus prospect on the on-three consensus. I think it was the number three player in the country coming out of, I believe, the class of 2018 – Goes to Alabama, uh, had an issue there where he was dismissed from the team. He transfers to Houston, has an issue there where he was dismissed from the team. Transfers to UT Martin at the, at the FCS level, sits out a season, plays last year, was all-conference, had uh, you know close to 10 sacks, 
uh, about 10 tackles for loss. Graduated this summer, has kind of turned things around. His story is, you know, for as much as he's been a guy where, oh, he's a bad apple, whatever, um, it, it's been impressive to see the maturity of him, talking to him a couple times. Um, he, he's leaned on his grandmother to kind of turn things around. She has since passed away, but he is in a much better place now. Joined the Michigan team in mid-August, just before camp. He, he uh, graduated in the summer, was able to enter the transfer portal, and is still learning this defense. But as he does, he's getting more and more snaps each week yeah. uh, from the edge rusher spot. And, man, he is electric when he uh, gets around the edge. He's more of just a pass rusher than kind of a run stopper. So you're going to see him in and out, number 18 with the dreadlocks. He'll yeah. be running in and out a decent amount situationally this weekend as well. But um, man, can he get after the passer? And he's got great technique. He's got great athletic ability. And you're starting to see some of that five star, you know, flash with him as the weeks go by. Again, as he learns, it's hard to learn a complex defense in just a matter yeah. of weeks. So he said he's kind of getting close, uh, closer and closer to mastering everything. And he's been huge for that pass rush too. Uh, that's why it was big to bring him in as well. Yeah, because he stands out immediately when you watch the film as far as a guy who has the ability to get there and, and consistency, it seems to be the thing. So fascinating story there. Are there any other guys that you look at that can be a part of that pass rush? Is it is Mazzy Smith able to do that as kind of that one technique, that run stuffer? Uh, and are there any interior guys you think, if not, that can be a part of that conversation? Mozzie Smith has done that. It's very hard to, you know, with the double teams that he draws, he's just so... Yeah big uh and you need a couple guys to block him and he he says he takes it as a sign of respect when he gets those but you've seen him get through at times you've seen him push back the pocket at times as well um you know which can help out the other guys and can also kind of you know make the quarterback get off his spot and things like that so he's not necessarily getting the sacks but he's having an impact mike morris a guy you flashed on the screen a couple times uh, has has really upped his game. He's playing the edge at 292 pounds, which is yeah. insane. Uh, and he has – it was kind of – he gained 14 pounds in the offseason in an attempt to kind of move around the defensive line, which he did a little bit of last season. But that was more with his role, you know, trying to get on the field with Hutchinson and Ojabo there. He's been mostly on the edge this year, and despite being at that weight, he's been fast enough. Yep, He has been impactful enough. His bull rush is good, but he's got some speed moves too. So he's kind of a freak in and of himself, uh, and he's getting better. He has four sacks uh, over the last three games, so you're seeing him make an impact. He had a huge hit on Talia Tagovailoa that knocked him out of the game for a spell. So those are the two and guys that are – they move him around the defense too, which they, yes, I think is do. going to be a critical thing against Penn State. Where if you leave him, uh, you know, over the left tackle Olafashano, you might not get the results you want. But you put him on that right side of the line, you stand him up. I, you know, I think he is a key figure in how Michigan's going to be able to shut down Penn State's passing attack, which that is a huge part of this game. Do you think that that uh, he's going to be matchup specific, or how do you think they'll deploy him in this game, or how would you do that? Yeah, they will move him around from one side to the other. They'll throw him inside of Oki on the same side where they're both standing up and then maybe they'll twist or maybe they'll go, you know, head on uh, or maybe Mozzie Smith will twist out, take out two guys. We saw that against Iowa and then free up a guy to curl around in the middle. They're getting creative. As I mentioned earlier with some of the things they're doing up front and Mike Morris is a huge part of that, his versatility. So yeah, I think you're going to have to keep your eyes on where number 90 is and uh, you know, in kind of how, what he's going to do post snap. I will say too, you, you know, you talked about it there with matchups. They're doing that where they figure out who the weak link is and they've kind of sent Yabioki 
and Mike Morris at that guy. The last two weeks, it's been the right tackle. These poor dudes from Iowa and Indiana, Parker Hanna from Indiana, number 51, yeah. uh, is giving up the most pressures in the country. Um, and I mean, they ate, they ate him alive basically late in the game where everything was coming off that right side. So I think they kind of figure out as the game goes on, uh, you know, where they can attack. And that's why I think you've seen so much pass rush success late in the game also helps that you have a lead and the other team has to throw, yeah. but that's been a huge, you know, uh, Doug Karsh, who's the play-by-play man contributes for our site, uh, play-by-play man on the radio. He said, it, it's, it's like a good closer in baseball to have a pass rush, uh, late in the game because you, you throw them in there, the other team's throwing and they can kind of seal it for you. And we've seen that the last couple of weeks. As uh, you I, see there. Yeah. The secondary is yeah, yeah. huge part of that as well. They tie hand in hand. Uh, Steve Klinkscale, Michigan's D backs coach says, well, why do you think some of the guys I recruit are defensive linemen? Uh, and he's a great recruiter and because he, he likes to protect his guys on the back end. He needs guys that can get to the quarterback. So his guys on the back end look better. And Michigan's secondary is improved from last season, despite losing three starters. They really upgraded there at, you know, with some, with some talent. Yeah. And they seem to play together very well. One of the things that I've noticed is despite the fact that they play so many different coverages, they do communicate very well. My question is, do they have playmakers back there? Uh, is it DJ Turner, number five? Yep. He seems to be the guy that really makes the most plays on the ball, but do they have guys that can, that can do that and can get to a football if it's left a little bit inside or outside? Because it seems to me if I had a, a you know, observation about them that they're very good at prevent, you know, they're very good at playing cover two, cover four, cover three, keeping a lid on everything. But do they have the opportunity to go get the football? Um, and if they do, can they? Yeah, DJ Turner is who it starts with. Um, and really a bright spot, too. This goes into them being comfortable blitzing at times when they need to as well, is they have two guys on the outside and DJ Turner and Jamon yeah. Green who can man up and Jamon green has been one of the biggest pleasant surprises of the season opposite of DJ Turner. Everyone was talking about him and everyone was talking about five-star freshman, Will Johnson. And when is he going to be the starter at the other corner spot? Well, it doesn't look like it's going to be this year, barring an injury from somebody because Jamon green has been so good. And that's, what's allowed them to be so good against the past this year. Um, those guys are not getting the interceptions. Maybe that uh, DJ has two uh, and he can really, he can really go get the ball, but they're manned up a decent amount as well. Um, safeties are getting uh, some interceptions. Rod Moore has a couple. Uh, um, RJ Moten has one. We saw that a couple weeks ago. So in terms of you know being disruptive, we're seeing that. Um, yeah. Also, the biggest pleasant surprise has been Mike Sainer still at the nickel spot. This is a former wide receiver who in his senior year got a call from Jim Harbaugh a few days before spring ball and said, hey, what do you think about moving to nickel? And he said, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do whatever. He said, I'll play center if you need me to. And he has been incredible at that spot. There hasn't been much drop off from Dax Hill, who went in the first round, to Mike Sainer still, who was playing receiver in Happy Valley uh, in mid-November last year. So that has been huge for this defense as well. Um, they're making plays on the ball. They're you know playing a little softer on the outside at times, which is you know allowing teams to bleed out yards in the short passing game, but they've tightened up in the second half against you know that once teams have had mm -hmm. success. I think that's been the only gripe is you know what is this playing way off of these guys early in the game, but they've adjusted well. Um, the secondary has really allowed the pass rush to kind of have those growing pains over the last uh, you know really the beginning of the season, and now you're starting to see both of those complement each other in the last couple games. 
Yeah, that, that's something that I think was pretty clear of their versatility to switch things up at halftime and play a completely different style and be very effective at it. Um, not even just, you know, game to game, but as you pointed out, from one half to the other. So uh, Clayton Safey with us. We're going to wrap up here in just a little bit talking about Penn State and Michigan getting the Michigan view of this game. What uh, are your thoughts about the Penn State offense so far this season? I think I'm looking at a much more dangerous offense than I saw a year ago. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like when Penn State handed the ball off last year in that game, you'd almost start laughing because no one was going anywhere. Um, you know, in, in Penn State fans know they had to throw so many times last season. Now you're seeing a balanced offense, which has been huge for them. And that, that's helped out Sean Clifford, who I know, you know, Penn State fans that I know joke about. Uh, you know, Sean Clifford, he's going to screw us in the end or he's going to make that big mistake at the end. Well, he hasn't done that so far this season. I know Penn State fans or, or excuse me, Penn State hasn't played the toughest competition, but they went down to Auburn. Uh, they got a win. They've they're undefeated. So obviously they've done some really good things. The offensive line appears improved to me and they have some good receivers. I, I think Parker Washington has done a great job against Michigan the last few years. He's also just a very good receiver. Brenton Strange at the tight end spot uh, is obviously very good as well. Mitchell Tinsley, they could have Keandre Lambert-Smith back this week. So I think Michigan has its hands full this week, especially with all the different formations and looks that Penn State uh, will put out there. Number one key for Michigan is going to be to stop that run game, make Sean Clifford pass, make the Penn State offense one-dimensional, and you kind of go from there. But it is amazing the level of familiarity when you look at the, the personnel I mean, Sean Clifford's about to make his fourth start against Michigan. Um, and, you know, he's, he's playing well. He's experienced. I said coming into the year, you know, who's going to be the ascending teams in the Big Ten? We were asked that, and I think we put it in our preseason magazine. I said Minnesota in the West and Penn State is going to rebound from a mediocre season and, and um, you know, a couple mediocre seasons in a row. Why? You look at – first thing I look at is the two six-year quarterbacks, Tanner Morgan and Sean Clifford, and so far yeah. they've been pretty good. Um, so that level of experience on, on one you know, side of the coin, there's a reason why Sean Clifford's still at Penn State. He hasn't been good enough to go pro. But on the other side, he's a good college quarterback. And Michigan, Jim Harbaugh talked about how much respect he has for him this week. So I think it's, Michigan's going to have its hands full. And if Penn State can get yardage in the run game with its good backs, then I think it could be uh, a dogfight. And I actually am predicting it to be a dogfight this weekend. Yeah. So, do you have a do you have a prediction? Do you have score? What 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 have you come up with so far? And what do you want to tell the people about what you think about's going to happen in the game? Yeah, I think so. I do have twenty four hours to come with up with a score prediction for our site. So I haven't totally figured something out there. I do yeah. think Penn State is going to cover the spread. I think I'm going to pick that. I think it'll be within a touchdown, and it'll be a really close game, kind of like last year, a game where you're kind of gritting your teeth the entire time. And, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. It was one or two big plays down the stretch that decided that game. I will say, I think the edge here is going to be Michigan's home field advantage and that defense being able to play behind its crowd. Uh, as Penn state fans know, cause you guys have such a great environment there. Uh, that can be the difference. Michigan has won 24 of its last 25 home games. Uh, they've won 11 in a row at the big house. Their only losses at the big house under Jim Harbaugh have been two flute games to Michigan State and three games to Ohio State. So they've been really good in that yeah. venue. And I think the Michigan offense is going to do enough. But I will say, with a young quarterback like J.J. McCarthy, I am concerned about is he going to make a mistake or two, uh, and that could be the difference in the game too. So I think it's going to come down to a couple plays at the end of the game. Um, 
I know Michigan fans are confident. Looking at your guys' message board, it looks like Penn State fans are confident, and I just can't wait for a good game on Saturday because both teams have kind of been waiting for this game. Uh, I do have a question for you. I mean, after what happened last season and Penn State's kind of coming back and, yeah. and trying to right the wrongs that that were last year, I mean, how much has this game been been you know marked off on their schedule? How much have they been kind of building towards this? I know Ohio State's a big yeah. one in a couple weeks too. But. Yeah, uh, the only thing people have asked for the last month after getting through the Auburn game, yeah. after getting through that game is great. Well, can they do it against Michigan and their offensive line? And that's what, where I always, I'm probably coming down too far on that side because it's been a month and a half of Michigan, 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 right. because this is a, the, the pressure cooker is here, the three game stretch. And really it's, it's these next three games that Penn state fans have circled on the calendar since it came out was Michigan, Minnesota, Ohio state. Yep. So, it's just the first leg of this triple crown. And if they win, I don't think there's any sense of relief. I think there is only more pressure than because you have a realistic shot of maybe taking two of those three in this, in this series, but a win on the road at the big house, as you pointed out, this has been a home and home series. Like the home yeah. team wins in every situation that's normal and appropriate, uh, you know, and I'm throwing 2020 yeah. out in that situation. Yeah, I actually need to to uh, clarify that stat. That that's with fans uh, yeah. in the stands. Penn State obviously came in and won at the Big House in 2020. I was just writing a story about. But really, this, this nobody morning. won. Nobody won at that, that point game. Was terrible. <laughs> that game was terrible. Uh, that season, yeah, Michigan didn't actually win a home game that season. So I'm talking fans in the stands in yeah. terms of a environment standpoint. So I'm glad that. Uh, that you kind of mentioned that because otherwise I'd have some people in the comments coming after me for fake news, but no, that was, uh, you know, fans in the stands, uh, with that stat, but yeah, you're right. Nobody won in that game in 2020. That was too brutal. Uh, not brutal teams. Penn state turned it around halfway through, but Michigan was, was not good. Yeah. And I think you saw everyone was just done with the season. Uh, like no, I, with the opportunity to not go under 500, Penn State football was like, no, we're not going to play a bowl game. We're done with this nonsense. Uh, Clayton, Ugh. we're done with this nonsense, although it's not nonsense. I appreciate no. you coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Fun as always. Yeah, uh, and and hopefully we can have you back in the future. Uh, you know, I, I doubt we'll have uh, these two teams will see each other again, but uh, always appreciate talking to you. Always like seeing you on the other side of the camera here. So, uh, good luck, and where can people follow you this weekend if they want to get more information about Michigan? Yeah, head to thewolverine.com if you're a Michigan fan out there or Penn State. You just want to see what's going on. We got all sorts of coverage on the game, uh, and we'll be uh, at the big house, and we'll see some of your crew there as well. So excited to see you guys. That'll do it today for the BWI Daily Edition. Thanks again to Clayton Safey. We'll be back tomorrow with the official preview of the game with Nate Bauer and, of course, Sean Fitz coming on the show to do the Thursday edition of the BWI Daily. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. We will talk to you tomorrow.